Can we thank God right now for all the mothers in this room and our moms in our life? If you're a mom watching online, we want to say thank you for tuning in, and we are grateful for the gift that you are. And first time I watched that, I started crying. I'm like, I'm not even a mom. You know, what's happening to me? And... Uh, But it is true in these situations, in these stories, and I love that uh, some of the moms here at Northside took time just to share really their vulnerability in their hearts uh, and their imperfections, uh, because there's a lot of times that we feel like we gotta be perfect as parents. And when we are faced with our imperfections, we don't know what to do with them all the time. And that not only do we wanna recognize the moms in this room, we know Mother's Day can also be hard for, for women in this room who are not moms. And I wanna take a moment to thank literally every woman in this room because when you become a follower of Jesus as a woman, you get to become a spiritual mother to others around you. And one of the most important spiritual mothers in my life is a, a lady by the name of Lydia Robbins. She is our primary babysitter. And she She is pouring her life in every week into our kids, helping them see and know who Jesus is. She's not married. She doesn't have kids. She's just a young woman who follows Jesus. And God is working through her to help make our family become a better family to look and act more like Jesus. And so can we just take a moment to just thank every woman in this room and just remind you of your calling that God has on your life. This is the beauty of being followers of Jesus, that none of us are perfect, but we have the perfect one to follow. And uh, we saw Jill Kiesler in that video and she got to baptize her son today, Gunner, uh, at the 1130 service. What's really neat, we have one of our staff members, Peyton, who gets to baptize his mom. And uh, this is just a special Mother's Day weekend uh, that we celebrate God redeeming and helping bring people back to him. And I tell you what really got me the most powerful part of that video uh, was the power of what I call the second voice. You know, you heard the first voice from all the moms, all the criticisms, all the things that we very quickly identify. But when you heard the power of the second voice and the second voice in that video was their kids saying, here's who my mom is. And what happens is a lot of times all we'll do in life is this. We will listen to the first voice that pops into our head. Some of us, the first voice that pops up into our head is just what we think about ourselves. And because we listen to that voice, more than we listen to the voice of God, we'll live by the first voice. Or we'll live by the first voice of what others say that we are. Or Satan will begin to come in and he'll plant some thoughts like Sam was saying to our communion time. There's a lot of times, especially this week, what we were talking about, man, God, it felt like Satan was just throwing all sorts of things in my mind from my past and reminding me all sorts of things. And the battle in my mind this week was not to listen to that first voice, but listen to the second voice. And here's what the second voice is. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God. It's the truth of God telling us who we are. That's why today we wrap up our series, if you haven't been with us, called Identity Theft, because Satan wants nothing more than for you to lose your identity in Christ and to listen to the first voice that comes up into your mind instead of the second voice of God. And today, this is the the lie we're going to be talking about. It's our fifth and final lie that Satan wants us to believe and wants us to listen to more than any other lie. It's this, that I am only my worst moments, that that's all I am. It's just my worst moments. That's what Satan wants you to believe today, moms, that you're only your failures as a mom. Or for dads in this room, that we're just our failures. Or another, maybe for some of you going, there's a sense of you feel like a failure because you're not a mom yet. 
And that's what Satan wants you to define your life by. I began to think about that because this isn't just for moms, this is for all of us because all of us are broken in this room. This is what everybody shares. Every kid, every adult in this room, all of us share in the same brokenness that sin has come in and disrupted our lives. And I began to think a little bit about really the worst moment of my life growing up and uh, uh, what happens and and what happened in my own life is this, and a lot of times we don't like to share these personal things, but this is, I was just thinking about this, one of the most embarrassing moments and worst moments of my life was this, that I was a heavy sleeper as a kid and so for a long time in my life what would happen is I would wet the bed later on to life. Uh, so much so, Ruthie had no idea on her honeymoon that I wet the bed. No, I know, I'm just joking, right? No, we were like, uh, for better or worse, huh? All right. No, no, it wasn't that. But I was like nine or ten, and what would happen is this. My, my, I would just fall in such a deep sleep that I just wet the bed. And, and I would get invited to sleepovers all the time. My buddies after a baseball game, Nate, why don't you come over? And then this was my built-in excuse. Oh, you know, we're having family night tonight. And everybody would be like, dude, you have like family night seven nights a week. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. And finally, one day, I love my mom. She's the sweetest lady. She said, Nate, I really want you to go to this. And so she took my sleeping bag and duct taped a massive piece of plastic in my sleeping bag so I could go to a sleep. Art mom's the best, man. And, you know, they wanted, she wanted me to do this. And she said, now stay up as late as you can. And hopefully you won't wet the bed and nobody will know, you know. And okay. So I stayed up till 4.30 in the morning, one sleepover. And, man, I was trying to make it all. All the way through the night, fell asleep, woke back up at 6.30, wet the bed. And it's like, on it. And I realized nobody else in the room was awake. And I went, they had Mountain Dew in the kitchen. And so I ran upstairs, grabbed Mountain Dew, and I came back downstairs, cracked it open, and then I began to pour it all over the sleeping bag. And I was like, oh, and tried to wake up all my buddies around me so they could see me pouring Mountain Dew down my sleeping bag. And one of my buddies woke up, he's like, dude, it looks like you wet the bed. I'm like, yeah, I know, you know? I'm like, sure enough, I had, right? I'm just pouring Mountain Dew over it. But in that worst moment of my life as a 10-year-old, all I could do was cover it up. And too many times, this is how I grew up as a kid, man. I was like, man, I'm just that kid that what's the bed. And too many times, this is what happens. You and I will listen to the first voice, and what we'll do is this. We will just do things in life to cover up our worst moments. Feeling like we just have to navigate, and we have to hide, and we have to keep things back. This is why this whole series, we've built it around Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it just simply says this. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Don't cover up the imperfections. Don't try to save yourself, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what Paul was saying is this, don't listen to the first voice. Listen to the second voice. Listen to the voice of God telling you who you are. Because when you and I listen to the voice of God, what happens is this, our lives are transformed. God changes us into more of his image. God rescues us into more than who we are. Oftentimes, this is what happens for families. We all, even Christian families, a lot of times we'll open up the scriptures trying to find that perfect family in the Bible so we can go, what did they do so we can do it so that nobody knows that we're imperfect as a family so that we can be known as the perfect family. Can I just let you know, Because of sin, there is no perfect family in the Bible. Do you know that? There's no perfect family. All there are are broken people that God is longing to redeem, to bring into his family so we can experience the power and the transformation of our loving God. 
See, too many times we put this wrong expectation on ourselves, listening to the first voice. And I love the story of Jesus because in Matthew chapter one, this is what I love about Jesus. Matthew chapter one, Matthew begins to write out Jesus's genealogy. And if you wanna talk about a jacked up family, go read Matthew chapter one. Go read about Jesus's family. I'm not kidding you, go read who he comes from, his line. You read about King David who had an affair and then had premeditated murder and killed Uriah. You read about King Solomon who we talked about last week who started off good but ended up listening more to the first voice instead of the voice of God and his life ended in destruction. You read about Jacob who lied and deceived. And see, this is the beauty. This is why we need to become a part of Jesus' family because we need his grace and transformation. This is what changes our families. This is what changes our identity. I love what the theologian Martin Luther says about Matthew chapter one about the family of God. Listen what he says about this. He says, now, if the Lord does that here in Matthew chapter one, talking about Jesus's family, so ought we to despise no one, but put ourselves right in the middle of the fight for sinners and help them. See, that's your calling and my calling is to allow the second voice, allow the Holy Spirit, who Jesus says we are, to transform our lives and then to put ourselves in the fight to help others not give in to the lie of who we are, but to begin to live out the truth of Jesus in our life. And what I wanna do today is I just wanna look at one story that we find in Jesus's family. It gives us hope and it gives us redemption. This is what it says in Matthew chapter one, verse five through six. It says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Now, I know some of you just gave your life to the Lord right now by just hearing that scripture, right? You're like, Obed, what? What, Who are we talking about? And Jesse, right, from Full House? You know, what's going on here, you know? And here's what happens. This is what I wanted to share. This is why oftentimes we read scriptures and we kind of just go past names and we see stories and we don't always understand who this is. The the powerful thing about Ruth in this story is this, Ruth is actually an immigrant, she's not an Israelite, but God uses her to intercede on behalf of a family who's hurting. And through this person that God said, no, I want you, when you begin to live by me, when you begin to listen to my voice, I will change your family's future. And this is what we read about Jesus's family tree because of what God's done. You may want to write this down. With Jesus, our worst moments are never our last moments. See, this is the hope that you and I have. A lot of times, you you saw it in the Mother's Day video, we talk about it all the time. Man, we are very aware of our worst moments. I carry that worst moment from being a 10-year-old with me all the time. We know and are very aware of our worst moments, but what we find in Jesus is this, that with Jesus, our worst moments are never our last moments, but you and I have a hope in the midst of our hurt. You and I aren't just left to our failures, but God gives us a future. This is what I wanna look at the book of Ruth today as we watch how God used this woman to begin to transform a family. And not just a family, but to transform generations because this is what she would do. She would allow God's identity to define her more than anything else. If you guys have your Bibles, you can open the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament, it'll be up on the screen. And this is what it says in the book of Ruth, chapter one, verse one, because this was not a great moment of what we find her and her family in. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, 
There was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Here's this, the scenario real quick. When it says, when the judges ruled in that time, all of the judges throughout Israel only did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So not only do they have kings that are not following God and oppressing the Israelite people, that's bad enough. What happens is this, now there's a famine in Bethlehem. And this family has to go to another land to go get food or else they're gonna die. Not the easiest of scenarios. Verse two, it says, the man's name was Imelech and his wife's name, Naomi. And the names of, the, of his two sons were Maclon and Kilion. And they were, uh, uh, oh, sorry about this, Ephorathus from Bethlehem, Judah. A lot of names this week to memorize. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Imelech, Naomi's husband, died when they got there, and she was left with her two sons. So you got evil kings, you got a famine. Now poor Naomi's husband dies. It can't get any worse than that. And these two sons, they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there for about 10 years, both Maclon and Kilion also died. And now Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Happy Mother's Day, right? You're like, Nate, we came to church to be encouraged. Right? Like, what are you doing? Because with Jesus, our worst moments are never our last moments. See, too many times, this is what we believe, we skip over the moments that we're trying to hide or get rid of, and what we find is this, Jesus isn't asking you and I to cover or hide our worst moments. What he's inviting you and I to do is this, invite him into those moments. See, this is why the book of Ruth is so powerful, because what we see is the book of Ruth, it starts off in one of the worst case scenarios. It starts off with people having to leave because of famine. It starts off with Naomi losing her husband, not only losing her husband, but then losing her two sons. And this is what she does next. Because, you know, Naomi, she doesn't have a 401k. There's no, there's no social security in that time. And here was the deal. Your family was your future. So if you didn't have a husband, if you didn't have sons, if you didn't have uncles, if you didn't have people around you, you didn't eat, you didn't live, you had no protection your family was your future. And so what Naomi says to her two daughters-in-law is this, hey, why don't you guys go back to Moab? I'm gonna go back to Bethlehem because there's no life here. Things have gotten incredibly bad and I don't see a future. So you guys go on home. Orpah goes, okay, I, I, I'm going back to Moab. But listen what Ruth said in verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay, because your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Boy, there's something powerful about a friend that sticks with you when life is just in the toilet, isn't there? Man, when somebody stays with you. What's fascinating about the book of Ruth is this, it mentions God just like three or four times, but what you see all throughout the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters long, is the display of the characteristics of God. What you see right here in this moment with Ruth is this. You see the loyalty. See, God's not just royal, he's loyal. God is a God who sticks with you and I even when life gets tough. God is the God of redemption that says, no matter what you go through, I'm with you. I see you and I know what's going on and I will be the one who will stick with you no matter what. And Ruth does that. She goes to Bethlehem with Naomi. 
She's lost her husband. Naomi's lost her husband. They go back home and they are stuck in this place going, this is like the worst moment ever. I don't know how we're going to move on from here. And when they show up, the people come out and they meet Naomi and they go, Naomi's here. And listen to what Naomi says. She said, don't call me Naomi. She told him, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She goes, don't even call me Naomi. Man, I am in so much pain. I am so bitter about what's happened. You just call me Mara because I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Because the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I gotta let you know today, your feelings are subjective. And you may come in here today or you're watching right now and your heart is full of bitterness, your heart is full of hurt. And you know what? Nobody can tell you otherwise how you feel. Your feelings are real unto yourself. Nobody can tell you what, you're, what you are or not feeling. That's what you're feeling. But here's what we gotta become aware of. Here's what Satan wants you and I to do. He wants us to listen to the first voice And this is what he does. He tempts us to define ourselves by our pain and not who we are as a person in Christ. That's that's what's happening right here to Naomi. This is why we can't give in to the lie that we are just our worst moments because here's what will end up happening. We will only define ourselves by our pain. Naomi saying that, don't even call me Naomi. You just call me Mara because I am full of bitterness. Here's what's happening. She's listening more to the first voice than the second voice. You know what the first voice sounds like today for you and I? It sounds like this phrase. We say this all the time. I hear people say it. Uh, They go, man, I want to follow Christ. But then they'll say this, but I'm just, and then this is what they'll say, but I'm just, you know, single. But I'm just a widow. But I'm, I'm divorced. Some kids in our student ministries, they go, man, I want to do great things for God, but I'm just a middle schooler, my boy Cademan in sixth grade is running the lights again for us. Take that, Satan. You know what I'm saying? This is what I love, man. I love that the church says, I am not bound by the first voice. I'm defined by the second voice. I'm not bound by my bitterness. I feel bitter. I am bitter. But that is not the end of my bitterness because with Jesus, our worst moment is never our last moment. See, this is the good news of Jesus Too many times this is what will happen. We will only listen to that first voice and it comes in all the time. This is why last week I talked about this book, Winning the War in Your Mind. Man, I have needed this book in this season because our minds are at war right now in a spiritual way, isn't it? Man, we are being attacked nonstop. This book has helped me so much just begin to take my thoughts captive. So I don't just live defined by my first voice, but I live defined by the voice of the Spirit, who I am in Christ. Matter of fact, we got some of these books left out at the Resource Center you can pick up. And uh, because we buy them in bulk, it's cheaper than buying on Amazon. We undercut the undercutter. And uh, I love it because that's just how the kingdom of God works. And, uh, and, And I got one of these. Anybody actually read this today, if I gave it to you? Anybody read this? Right, bam, right here. All right, and we got it. Ready? Mother's Day catch right there. Well played, Nicole. And uh, this is what I love, man. This is why I love that, that God is saying this. This is why that book was so helpful to me. Because constantly you and I are at war in our mind. And here's the war. Satan wants you and I to listen to the first voice, not the second voice, which is the voice of God. Just be defined by your feelings. Be defined by what you feel. Be defined by what others say you are instead of who Jesus is. 
Naomi, don't call me Naomi. You call me Mara because I'm bitter. That's all I am. It's my worst moment. The beautiful thing about the book of Ruth is, as soon as you go to the next chapter, chapter two, this is how it starts. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Imelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who, in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. That was where they were in life. The only way they would eat is they would walk behind farmers and pick up whatever the farmers left out in the field. That, that was where they were at. It was like, we're just hopefully somebody leaves some grain for us. She goes, why don't you go out there? Why don't you try to find it? And she goes out there and what she finds is Boaz. And in verse five, it says, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvest, whose young woman is that? He sees Ruth out there collecting the grain. And he says this to Ruth in verse eight. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls and watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls because I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? You hear that first voice language? I'm just a foreigner. Why are you taking any consideration into me? Why are you even looking after me? He goes on to tell her this. Boaz said, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your home and your land to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, here's what happens when you and I take refuge in the Lord. What we find is this. With Jesus, our worst moment is never our last moment. When Ruth and Naomi showed up to Bethlehem, they went, we've got no food to eat. We've got nothing in the tank. All we are is bitter women. That life has been undone. I guess we have no hope. And what they find is they find hope. See, this is the good news on this Mother's Day that no matter what you and I are going through, you have a heavenly Father who meets you in your worst moment. Your worst moment will not define you when you allow Jesus to define you. And this is the beauty. Ruth collects and she goes home. In verse 19, her mother-in-law Naomi asked, where did you glean today? Where'd you get food? Where'd you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Did anybody give you any food today? Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working and the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. She's like, some dude like gave me a bunch of food and protected me and gave me water and he, he was really nice. He was kind of cute too, right? It's deep in the Hebrew there, right? She said, the, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, because God has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she asked, she added, that man is a close relative and he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, kinsmen redeemers, I'm like, what, what, what kind of Bible term is that? Here's what a kinsman redeemer is. Back in the day, again, your family was your future. And so when 
your husband or your sons would die and you had nobody to redeem you, you had nobody to take care of you, one of your relatives could come and purchase the land. And if they came and purchased your land, what they were saying is this, I'm coming to redeem you. I'm coming to take care of you. I'm gonna put protection over you. You are not gonna go through life alone. And in that moment, Naomi goes, Boaz came up to you. He's one of our kinsmen redeemer. He may buy us. He may protect us. Here we are just as widow people, broken. Maybe he will do this. And what you find in chapter three is they go back and they talk. And Ruth and Boaz, they strike up this relationship. It's an incredible thing. And Ruth says, hey, I, would want, I want to be your wife. In verse 10, it says this. This is what Boaz tells her. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you have shown earlier because you have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. And I'm sure in that moment, Ruth was like, oh, come on, man. Right, there's somebody closer and you know, why don't you just buy me, right? Can, 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 this, can this work out? Why don't you redeem me in this? Boaz goes and he talks to that family member and this is what the family member says. He says, no, I can't do it. And in verse eight, it said, so the kinsman redeemer says to Boaz, why don't you buy the field yourself? And he removed his sandal, right? That was how they made laws. I'm not gonna take my shoe off for you all today, all right? You know? But that was how they made an agreement. They would take off a sandal saying, this is my oath. And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Imelech, Kilion, Maklon, and I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Maklon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Can you imagine what that moment was like for Naomi and Ruth? Two women who have gone through so much hardship only to find redemption. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. See, when you and I focus only on our failures, we lose focus on God's faithfulness to us. When our life and our mind is only consumed with our failures and our worst moments, we miss God's faithfulness. See, Jesus is actually the answer to the book of Ruth. It's not just about a love story, The beauty of Jesus is this, he is our kinsman redeemer. He is our redeemer that comes after us in our worst moment and says, you don't have to cover things up. What you just have to do is this, you just have to allow me in to transform your life from the inside out. This is what Hebrews chapter two says about Jesus, verse 17. It says, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers, like you and I in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, Jesus has come to be our redeemer. He's the one who's come to be with us in our worst moment. When we walk into this place, maybe you tune in and your heart has never been more bitter before. In your bitterness, your redeemer sees you and it's come to set you free. That's what the cross was all about, was setting us free. Here's what you and I gotta understand. As much as Jesus wants to set us free and that he's done everything on the cross for us, Satan wants you to just stay bitter. Just stay bitter. You don't need to worship him. He's cool with you not worshiping. Just as long as you stay bitter. 
Just as long as you define yourself more by your failure. This is how the book of Ruth ends, unbelievable way. Chapter four, verse 13, it says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. You know why we celebrate baptism so much here? Because when people get baptized, what we're celebrating is, praise God, you did not leave us without a redeemer. You've given us Jesus. You've given us Jesus. May he become famous throughout Israel, and he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the woman and the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed because he was the father of Jesse, the father of King David, who was a part of the line of King Jesus. In Naomi and Ruth's worst moments, we see the best of God. Can you imagine what that Mother's Day must have been like? for Naomi, to hold her grandson. After all this hardship, after all this loss, and the thing was she wasn't just holding her grandson, you know what she was holding? Her future hope, that there was a savior who would come and rescue us. A lady last night after the Saturday service, she came up to me and she goes, you know, you could have said your sermon in one sentence. And I'm like, well, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, what's that? And she said, Ruth and Boaz saved Christmas. And I said, yeah, you know, that is right. That is right. And I should have just said that, right? And we would have been gone a whole lot better. But see, that's what's happening in this moment. When we think about Obed, we think about Jesse, we think about King David, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, in this moment, God began to redeem a broken situation. See, when Jesus comes, this is what Christmas is all about, is that the Savior of the world, it's God with who? Us. It's God with us. Our Redeemer with us in our worst moment. And I wonder for you today, on this Mother's Day weekend, where do you need your Redeemer to be with you in the worst way? Where do you need the voice of your heavenly father to speak louder than your worst moment? I wanna challenge you to do something this week. So I wanna challenge you to do is to take time and pray. And I love journaling, I love reading scripture. And this is what I wanna encourage you to do just in your time with the Lord this week is to write out and share where the first voice is being louder than God's voice in your life. What first voice are you listening to more than God's voice? And then here's what I wanna invite you to do. I want you to share that with somebody. Maybe after spending time with the Lord and writing out going, God, what, what am I living by more than I'm living by who you are and how you're defining me? Might be that you share it with the best friend. Might be that you share it with your spouse. This week, I can't wait at my life group. I can't wait to share with them what it is that I'm living by and listening more 
than the goodness and the second voice of my Redeemer. Because here's what happens. We get to focus on his faithfulness more than our failure when we listen to his second voice. See, we don't have to ignore our worst moments, but we need to focus on God's best moment, which is Jesus. This is what's amazing about the entire Bible. The entire story of scripture is about an identity crisis. Israel, when God formed Israel, his people, when he brought them out of Egypt, for 400 years, all they had been were a slave to Pharaoh. That's all they knew who they were. Who are you? We're a slave to Pharaoh. And when he brought them out, he had to tell them who they were. And in Exodus 19, he tells them who they are. He goes, you are my treasured possession. I have brought you out under my wings. I have rescued you. You had no way out. You were stuck in the worst moment, but in your worst moment, I delivered you. And what I love about second, or first Peter is this, chapter two. This verse has helped me come back time and time again to remember who I am, to listen to the second voice more than the first voice that I listened to, more than who I define myself by. Listen what Peter writes to the church and he writes to you and I today. He tells us who we are. He says, but you are not like that. And he goes on and he, he quotes Exodus 19, what God called Israel and what he calls us now through followers of Jesus. He says, you're not like that. You're not the rest of the world for you are a chosen people. Some of y'all never even got kicked in, or chosen in kickball, right? And God goes, hey, even if they didn't choose you, I choose you. Even if you wouldn't choose yourself, I choose you because you are his chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Do you know that's how God thinks of you? That you're his. And as a result of that, you can show others the goodness of God. What a calling you and I have. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Are you listening to the second voice today? Because with Jesus, our worst moment is never our last moment. Let's pray together right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you what we celebrate today. We thank you for the gift of moms and through moms and spiritual moms in our lives. God, we see your glory. Through Ruth and your scripture, God, we see your faithfulness, a woman stepping up to walk by faith in the story that you write through the midst of her pain. And Father, you know the stories in this room. You know the stories of the people who are watching online. You know every detail. And so Jesus, right now, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, would you help us to listen to your voice more than our own. God, to be defined by your mercy and your grace more than any failure or good work that we've done. Because God, you alone 
tell us who we are. And God, you alone call us in the life that we were made to live. So today, Jesus, by your grace and your mercy, may we walk in that life today. We thank you. We thank you for your grace in this time today. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. May you go and listen to his voice today. God bless y'all. Happy Mother's Day weekend.